0: Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health.
1: We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause.
0: That's why we create Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the
1: burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves.
0: So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast with Grace and Clara. Today on the episode, we sit down with Dr. Charlotte Keating, a clinical psychologist with a PhD in neuroscience. She works with adolescents, young adults, and is advisory board member for Dolly's Dream. But before we jump into the chat with her, Clara, we need to discuss the new self-diagnosis epidemic. Yeah, it's quite
1: interesting. So young people and teenagers have been self-diagnosing. So obviously, Dr. Google. (laughs) everyone does a bit of (laughs) dr google now and then comes out with some really interesting things but in particular with this um it's that there's a lot of trends going on through tiktok and social media and they've been looking at these trends and then self-diagnosing and the reason behind it is because they've obviously got there's barriers to access healthcare, so for them, obviously, especially as a teenager, going to healthcare on your own, uh, the cost of healthcare, seeing psychologists, all of that, they just can't afford it. So they've been turning to social media to find out uh, what they feel like is wrong with them. Now, <laughs> a little bit problematic. So many problems. <laughs> so many problems. So uh, the one of the big ones is that a lot of them have decided that they've got ticks from Tourette syndrome. So,
0: Whoa, that's yeah. big.
1: Yeah, that's big. So all of a sudden they've decided that they've got Tourette Syndrome um, and this is not, you know, this is not just um, across Australia. Like the, it's coming from, you know, US, UK, Germany, Canada, us, obviously. So it's actually happening across the world and obviously because social media drives that. But a lot of young people had started to present to their doctors and saying that they had Tourette's syndrome. And what oh. it all came down to is that they thought they were having tics very similar to what they had seen on TikTok.
0: Wow. I actually heard as well, it's not just Tourette's. There's um, OCD and ADHD that they're consuming this content. And I see it on my feed all the time five signs that you've got ADHD and Mm -hmm. I'm watching it like do I have ADHD get this like this thought in your head it plants the seed and then you fixate on it and then you see more content because the algorithm is like oh you liked that you watched that we're going to give you more And then you feel conditioned to think that you have this condition that you don't have. Agree. And it's
1: becoming a bit of a pandemic worldwide. Um, There's been an uptick in depression and anxiety. And that, you know, is following some of the COVID trend. But also, I mean, we spoke about um, in a Mm -hmm. few podcasts prior to this one, that there's obviously what we're under now, which is um, extreme fatigue. So, you know, 2023 is the year of extreme fatigue. And that's a lot to do with what's happening in the world and, you know, the conflicts and the governments and all of that kind of stuff. And people are just under this extreme fatigue. But it's just, it's so scary that, you know, the the source of truth and the source of information for a lot of people now are these social media platforms and nothing
0: has been happening to police this. In saying that, yes, I agree. But it's also, look who are the leaders and the experts in these fields. Yeah, Like when we write an article on I Quit Sugar and we talk about hair loss and how sugar affects hair loss, like we like to think we're the expert on quitting sugar but also we have the research to back it because we have a team of researchers looking into this. So I do think if kids and teens and young adults are going to consume this content, Mm. they need to be looking at the profiles that they're getting educated by. So Agreed. that is a conversation that their parents need to have as well.
1: Agreed. And what is concerning is that if they're starting to self-diagnose and they're starting to look at, you know, as you said, they're looking at influencers or they're looking at other people for their source of information, it actually means that if that's not what they've got, they could have something that's going untreated and it's actually dangerous. So it's one of those things where I think um, as parents, we need to lead. We need to lead that conversation and be able to help and support them through a lot of this kind of stuff, um, and open the doors and open the floodgates. But it's also around the education um, for teenagers around, you know, where do they find that? So as you said, you know, googling can be very harmful, but it also it can, can be, <laughs> it can be, but it also can be great. Like there is a massive amount of information now that you can uncover and learn and digest. However, it's looking at what's reputable and teenagers don't know what that is. So teaching them and educating them around what's reputable, but also teaching them and educating them around, okay, that might be a jumping off point because, you know, we, this whole series is dedicated to being able to advocate for yourselves. So, you know, for me, I really look at it and go, well, great. You know, they're learning how to advocate for themselves. They're learning to be interested in what's going on in their bodies. They're learning to be interested in health. They're trying to find answers. Let's set up the boundaries for them so that they understand how to do that in a safe way and how to then take it that step further into, you know, to the doctor going with the information and having open conversations and learning how to advocate for yourself. I, You know, there's two arms to this. One, it's scary and dangerous, but, you know, maybe it is another avenue for us to really be able to start having these conversations with kids earlier so that they're not in their 20s and 30s and actually finding out that, you know, they do have ADHD or they do have another condition that they didn't know about prior.
0: It's just about learning about your bodies. I think I mentioned in our last podcast, um, I was talking about my menstrual cycle mm-hmm. and learning about all the different phases of that. And it comes back to, well, what are we teaching them? Why aren't we giving people a well-rounded idea of the functions of their body? Why is our brain going like this? Why? How is our gut health linked to this? How is mm-hmm. food Changing how we think and process and our actions. So, I feel like we're giving teens only a small percentage of the pie. We're like, this mm-hmm. is how you use a tampon, this is how you use a condom, this is why you need to do it. But there is a whole area of the body that they need to know hey it's grace here just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you join the eight week program and get eight weeks of easy delicious meal plans with full shopping lists and at five dollars fifty or under per serve it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals, plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode.
1: This is an episode that I think um, anyone who probably is going to go into parenting or is already in parenting needs to listen to. It's a really interesting topic. So. Dr. Charlotte um, is coming on to have a chat through, you know, bullying, the signs of bullying, how to help your uh, teenager through bullying or tween through bullying, but also what they're facing at the moment. So there's an increase in depression and anxiety in our young children um, that has been on the increase over the last, over, you know, last decade. And so, so what is causing that, and how do we start? you know, unpacking some of those stresses, but also what signs do we look out for and how do we, you know, support them through it and help them get help.
0: But guys, I will add a quick trigger warning for this episode as we touch on topics, of mental health and suicide. If you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out to Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300224636. We'll put links to these organisations in the show notes below. Dr. Charlotte, welcome to the episode. Let's jump straight into the chat.
1: You work with a lot of adolescents and young adults and are on the advisory board for Dolly's Dream. What led you to this work?
2: Well, to describe a little bit about what Dolly's Dream is and what we do, Dolly's Dream was set up by Kate and Tick Everett to honour Dolly Everett, their daughter, who took her life when she was 14 years old as a result of ongoing bullying. Kate and Tick's goal in setting up Dolly's Dream was to prevent other families from going through the same tragedy that they'd experienced. And at Dolly's Dream, you know, to continue that legacy, we're focused on changing the culture of bullying by addressing the impact of bullying, anxiety and depression and youth suicide education programs and providing direct support to young people, parents and educators across Australia, but especially for people in rural, regional and remote Australia. Mm. And as a passionate advocate for young people's mental health, I feel so privileged and and grateful to be involved in Dolly's Dream and to see the work that's being done to help support um, people who really need it. So the latest statistic that I read, and
1: it might have changed, but one in seven kids aged 4 to 17 are affected by anxiety, depression or ADHD in Australia. I go back to my teenage years and I I don't remember this being spoken about a lot and I've noticed that it's been on the rise over the last decade. What do you think is affecting our youth now that we haven't seen in previous generations?
2: Look, it's a really good um, and important question, Clara. I think there are a multitude of factors that are contributing and there's evidence to support Mm in lots of different factors. I think one of them is that over the last decade and and probably longer than that, we're getting um, more educated as a society about what mental health means. And that's resulting too in people being able to identify when it is they might need help and that they can Mm -hmm. then go off to their GP um, to to get uh, essentially an assessment, a diagnosis and treatments. I think Um, that fact does certainly contribute to, you know, the incidence of diagnoses that we're seeing now. Mm. Um, You know, if you ask young people, um, and there's, you know, many researchers who have about what they think is contributing to their rise in their mental health concerns, um, you can look at the National Youth Mental Health Survey published in May 2020 by Headspace. Um, They did ask young people and they found that 57%, so more than half, considered that their mental health was getting worse and what they thought was contributing to that was social media, Um, 42% uh, felt that was the main reason. And this is an increase on the 37% of young people in 2018 when they were surveyed. Um, You know, it's not all about social media, of course, and certainly evidence shows that spending too long on social media can contribute Mm -hmm. to mental health problems. Um, anxiety, depression, uh, psychological distress, other factors um, that came out of that particular research. And again, it's not the last decade that it's representing, but it's the last, you know, few years. Expectations that can be felt from school, the family and the community. But of course, the kind of more global issues that we're experiencing, climate, environment more broadly. Um, Of course, you know, the wars that are going on uh, are also really very much in the the COVID, absolutely. And I think COVID is an important one to consider because, you know, for so many young people, there is a lag as a result of the effect of COVID on, you know, their Mm. development. Um, That really long period that some of them experienced of social disconnection, I think, led to, you know, perhaps the increase in loneliness that we're also seeing young people Mm. Um, you know, experience the Mission Australia Youth Survey. Uh, recently, it's carried out on over 18,000 young people between 15 and 19, uh, reported almost a quarter of young people reporting really high levels of, of loneliness. Um, wow. And we all need, you know, we're social beings, we all need a level of, of social connectedness mm-hmm. for our well-being. Um but I think it's important to remember that, you know, COVID was certainly, you know, significantly impactful, but we were seeing an impact uh, of mental health, you know, sort of decline or, or increasing, mm-hmm. you know, mental health concerns that happened before the pandemic began too.
0: So social media is creating this disconnect, even though these platforms are meant to keep us connected. So what are the impacts social media are having on our teens?
2: Look, I think it's, it's not as clear cut as saying that social media is at fault. I think one of the, you know, oh, yes. really... Obvious and important positives about social media to consider is that young people do feel connected as a result of being on it. Um, they can genuinely develop and maintain friendships, and in in many cases, they can have a broader, more diverse group of friends as a result of having friendships online as well as mm. offline too. I think it's also really important for people to be able to explore themselves, their identity, you know, their expression. There's there's lots that's really good about it. I think the the challenges come, of course, when the time spent on social media can just be too long relative to other parts of life that are important for young people's development. Uh, And, of course, you know, bullying is a, is a, a part of what can happen online as well as offline Uh, And so there are the risks, you know, to monitor. But really, you know, what are you spending um, your time doing when you're on it and how long are you spending on it and what is it substituting for in terms of the time you'd otherwise be spending doing other really important things too?
1: So I think that brings up a really good point around boundaries. So how do you start setting up those boundaries as a family and, you know, what are those boundaries that need to be set up and put in place?
2: Starting starting off early or having repeated, you know, half yearly conversations where you sit down as a family and you ask what works for us. Um, you know, it, it could be, you know, if you're struggling with technology and the use of devices in your house, depending on the age of your kids, you might sit down with, you know, something called the, the family technology plan. Um, there's many examples um, of ways in which you can sort of begin mm-hmm. these conversations, but that can sort of have some good prompts and topics about, well, how often are we on our devices? When are we on them? What are we actually using them for? And are there changes that we as a family would like to make as well as, you know, as individuals? I think, you know, when it comes to sort of boundaries, the the boundaries is sort of another word for for needs in a way. And I think that some of the needs we really um, forget are those needs for good quality sleep um and you know having technology and devices in our Mm. bedrooms um whether you're an adult or a young person does absolutely interfere with sleep quality uh and so is there a communal place where everybody puts their devices including parents because i think you know you have to sort of practice what you preach you have to you know effectively model um what you would like them to do too so i think um you know i think that's a really important place to start i think time spent online. What's the content you're engaging in? Is there a balance of entertainment, socialising, learning as well as taking in, you know, information um, passively or not? How does what you're looking at actually make you feel?
1: But how do you start having those conversations around what kind of content they are digesting? Because obviously a lot of the time they're now using their computers for schoolwork. They're using their computers in different ways um, and probably outside of your supervision a lot of the time
2: you know young people are inherently curious and so Mm. it's completely understandable that they you know would at times be looking at things that you know are consistent with that that curiosity and sometimes they'll happen upon information or um you know could be all sorts of things including porn of course that yeah be really concerning for Parents, I think there's sort of multiple angles of coming at this and I think the one that's most important to really think about is creating a culture of safety around how you deal with problems as they come up, Um, you know, wanting to understand the experience, wanting to understand um, what might have happened and for young people to feel really safe to come and talk with you about it, even if they've made a mistake, even if they've, Mm -hmm. you know, behaved poorly, whatever it might be create that safety because um you're there to be able to support and help them with it and if they don't feel they can come to you uh you know then they have to deal with it on their own and that can create you know sort of even bigger issues but you know if we're sort of coming back as you said to say tiktok and and other sorts of online platforms or social media you know sites that they can be on and, and working out you know are they actually ready for it it's you know partly having these conversations not at the time at which they're nagging you for it but sort of you know preempting that and then sort of having a conversation where you have the knowledge you need to actually talk with them in an informed detailed respectful way where they mm. understand why it is you might say no to what they want because most of the time and you know I certainly did this you know when I was younger too it was like oh but so and so gets to have this and so and so gets to do that and it's so unfair the comparison and- yeah the comparison, which is just, it's inevitable, right? And so I think um, if you want to access certain resources like Common Sense Media, there's lots of guides about the different apps and the different shows and the different things that are out there that can inform parents about what they need to know about it. In order to determine, and of course as a parent you might actually have a look at what your children want to access to actually play with it and do it do it yourself first. So you can have a discussion with them about whether you think they're ready for it and why you might not think they are and also how you can support them to learn to become more ready. A lot of these social media platforms and the age, you know, the, the minimum age where it might yeah. be okay for them it's usually 13+. plus you know, you might have a 13-year-old who was ready for it at 13 Mm -hmm. and the next sibling down may not be quite at the same stage of readiness or maturity that their sibling was. And having that discussion and managing that can be really difficult. But I think, as you know, as a as a parent, you're really wanting to make sure that your young people are going to be safe, and so that's that you know that's the position that you approach the discussion with them. Um, on you know this is a this is about safety, and I'm going to help you get ready to to do it, but it's not yet. Just also speaking about my goddaughter, because my my child's still
1: eight months, so I've got a while to go <laughs> to get there. When we talk about smartphones and smart devices as I said, my child is eight months and she's now grabbing the phone. She's because she sees me on the phone and I do a lot of work on my phone. So she grabs my phone a lot. Um, And I know that my goddaughter was doing the same thing. And what I actually thought was brilliant is when she started kindergarten, and it was right from when they started kindergarten, her whole year parents I think they happened to be at a parent-teacher or it was, you know, a parent-teacher dinner or cocktails or whatever that they have. And they all spoke about it and they said, let's hold off together as a year until X point. And I, I thought that was brilliant, being able to get together and actually say because it is. It's that one parent that lets it happen. And then that might be a conversation that as parents as a collective, they were just not ready for. So they kind of made that decision together.
2: That's just so interesting, isn't it? And I can so understand in many ways the value of being mm. able to to come together as a community and work through, hey, what you know, even if it's not the whole year level, because I can imagine that would be quite challenging to achieve. I mean, aspirational for sure, yeah. possibly challenging. But even the, you know, perhaps the, the group of friends that your child might be in having a conversation with parents there just really to sort of help each other out and communicate about you know what what everybody's feelings are what their Mm. sense of the readiness of their children is you know really how they can just um support each other and you know even potentially have an approach of of when the children may have it um could be really interesting and incredibly valuable and and helpful we
1: spoke about earlier that you're part of um, Dolly's Dream and what Dolly's Dream is all about. So what happens? How do you start looking for those signs that your child is going through bullying in that situation or that it is starting to turn negative?
2: Sometimes young people feel comfortable to talk with their parents about what's going on, but other times they can feel reluctant to do it because they fear that it will make the situation worse or that you know their parents will go down and, and speak to the school. And I think um, again, this really sort of just points to the importance of talking about these sorts of, you know, difficulties that can arise. What bullying is, what bullying mm-hmm. isn't, um, what happens, you know, if if somebody is bullying you, and, and what you can do. Those sort of conversations really early on create an environment where kids. Um, they do know what it is, so they can come mm. to you and talk to you if it's happening. But if they're not doing that, I think, you know, you're looking out for signs of change in their confidence, perhaps whether they want to go to school or not. Have they fallen out with a particular friend or a friend group um, that they used to be quite close to? Have they got, you know, other sorts of um, challenges like difficulty getting to sleep or changing their appetite? Are they more moody, more withdrawn? Um those are some of the sort of you know observable challenges, and then of course mm. there might be you know are they on their phone um, at all hours? Is there sort of a change in behaviour around social media um, as well? But really, I think um, it's it's it, it's sort of if you notice something, have a conversation. Mm. Don't wait for them to come to you about it or for it to to fester necessarily. But be really calm and really gentle in your approach and really think through when is going to be the best opportunity for us to bring up something that could be very sensitive and could be associated with, um, you know, feeling a great deal of social rejection or pain or even shame if it's happening. So being sensitive is important but, but, you know, keep trying um, would be my, my point if you get shut down the first time give it a a moment or two and then maybe Mm. when you're in a drive, you know, try then maybe um, get into it in a a little more of a gentle way, perhaps sharing something of your own experience or somebody you know about who's experienced something, not to um, normalise it or, you know, make it necessarily um, less concerning than it is, but because it, it, just goes to show how common it can be, mm. and that can help um, you know help them get on that path to
0: getting help. So, what avenues are there to help your child with bullying?
2: You know, when we're when we're thinking about supporting our you know our young people to be best equipped uh, to deal with bullying if it happens, and you know we know the statistics one in four um, young people will be uh, will have been bullied um, recently. Uh, So, you know, you hope it doesn't happen to your child or anybody else's child for that matter, but it's common. So I would teach them really early on, um, you know, recognize when they might need some help, you know, what are they experiencing or what might be happening in order for them to say, hey, you know, I actually need some help with this. Run through some scenarios, talk through what it might be that happens in the playground or online, but help them identify when it is that help would be useful. And then, of course, help them make a list of trusted adults that they feel like they can actually talk to about it. Because if something happens in the moment, you want them to be able to deal with it or do something about it. And if they know who it is, they feel comfortable, then they've already got step one sorted out in their mind. Um, You also might teach them the key steps for how to ask for help and the ways in which they might explain situations too, you know. So it's almost a bit of a... Unfortunately, it's a bit of a drill, but it's something that they feel they could do if they need to do it because they've sort of had some practice already. Um, If your young person comes to you and tells you that they've been bullied, do your best to try and stay calm. It might be really scary and really concerning, but the support they need from you is to listen very carefully, to be very calm about it. And to try and ascertain the facts of what has happened from their perspective and to take any evidence, if it is online, of what's been said or done so that you have that. If it's online, you might then report it to the site that it happened. Um, if that doesn't get taken down, for example, you would then report it to the eSafety Commissioner who has the capacity and the powers to do something about that. Um, and if it concerns people at school please don't take matters into your own hands. You can have really great intentions about how you might want to help your young person or you might want to talk to other parents about it, but this can, this can end up with the best intentions uh, not helping the situation. All schools mm-hmm. are meant to have a policy on how they deal with bullying. And, you know, schools are usually fairly interested in wanting to resolve things as well. And so assume that you're on the same team um, and, and go down to the school and have a conversation uh, with them. And, you know, just let your young person know that that's important as far as helping them to feel safe, even though they might be worried that you're doing it, uh, and try and be as collaborative with them in the process so that they feel as comfortable as possible.
1: Conversely, we often when we talk about bullying, we talk about the child that's being bullied. How do you, so if someone has come to you with concerns that your child is a bully. How do you start supporting them and where do you start that conversation? Because I think it's a difficult conversation for a child to have with you being bullied, but I think it's a very difficult concept for a parent to accept and to take on that the child might be the bully or the aggressor in the situation.
2: Definitely, definitely. I think um, if you're a parent and the school lets you know that there has been a problem and you know that that your child may possibly bullied another child again my advice is sort of consistent with the flip side you know mm-hmm. if if your child is being bullied just have to remain really as calm as you possibly can you know even though it, it might be incredibly difficult to receive that information if you're able to you know maybe talk through your um, initial emotional reaction with somebody you trust to be able to sort of calm down, you'll be creating an environment where you can ask your young person calmly and respectfully what happened. And you'll have a much greater chance to understand what happened if you approach it calmly and safely than if you went in um, very activated, upset, angry even, um, that will just, you know, bring the roller door down on the young person that you're speaking to. I also think it's an opportunity to model respectful interactions, even if they have behaved very poorly. Um, so, safe and calm conversations. Understand from from their perspective what happened. If you can, you might ask why it's happened, what the reasoning behind it was. Um, you know, sometimes children who have bullied other children have themselves being bullied. It may not be in the context of the particular incident that's being dealt with um, but it can be quite complex and that's worth understanding and then of course it would be worth potentially working through with your young person what would it have been like for the other person in the position of being treated poorly to try and help them develop some empathy around that it's not to punish them or shame them about what's happened it's to genuinely elicit an understanding and Mm. um, being able to put themselves in that person's shoes uh, and, of course, you know, explain to them what acceptable and unacceptable behaviour is um, right. and that you will you know follow through on whatever is necessary to to resolve this and to you know cooperate with with the school because that's part of taking it seriously and being accountable to the process, um regardless of what you know the outcome might be. Um, and and that's part of part of the process. I would also probably say too, and this is this is somewhat sensitive um, as well for people. But you know, oftentimes children who do bully other children um, have themselves experienced, you know, difficulty at home. It might be that they have mm. um, a very difficult relationship with a sibling, where it might at times be emotionally or physically, um, you know, abusive. It, it could also be that. Um, parents may model between themselves or mm. might also for various different reasons and it can be complex, um, you know, be behaving toward a child in a way where that child is modelling that same behaviour outside of the home. So I think self-reflection and self-examination mm. um, as well as that as siblings is, is important for just creating a really safe, respectful, kind and compassionate culture at home. So
1: another statistic that I read that I really want to kind of delve into, especially around anxiety and depression, because I know that we've spoken a lot about bullying, um, almost 19% of people aged 15 to 24 had anxiety and 14% had depression in 21, 2021. Um, those figures steadily decline as people got older. So, you know, they were saying that as Australians hit age 75, just over 7% had anxiety and the same percentage had depression. So it's quite an alarming statistic that, you know, almost one in five young adults experiencing anxiety or depression or and even depression. It's that, And that to me is such a vulnerable age because that's the age that Really, communication starts to tend to break down between parents and teenagers for obvious reasons. Um, They're also, you know, once we start to hit into our 20s, they might be leaving home. So they might have left to go to university or start in the workforce or start to, you know, find their first home outside of um, the parental home. God willing, a lot of them don't now leave until they're 35. But, you know, (laughs) But that's, you know, that's around that age that they start to become more transient and they're, you know, they're really amongst their peer group and their peer group is the group that's really supporting them emotionally a lot of the time.
2: I think um, as parents it can be difficult to know the difference between mood changes or changes in behaviour that are typical, of say, the teenage years. And as you described, you know, it's natural for teenagers to drift away from as much communication with their parents they're sort of evolutionarily wired to be more connected to and seeking of their you know Mm -hmm. peers approval and so they become you know the major sort of source of support for them it's 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 quite natural for communication to to sort of wane at that time so I think um you know you know your child better than anybody else um, does, mm. especially when they're in that sort of mid, mid-teenage mid um, sort of age. This is not so much when they might have, you know, left home in their early 20s or when they're, when they're sort of spending less time with you. But just because you can see them doesn't mean you know what's happening in their minds. Mm. And so I would just try, you know, when opportunity presents and if you feel there's something going on, create those opportunities to just check in. Share with them what you might have noticed changing in a really calm, non-accusatory way. I don't think that parents seek to accuse their children, but sometimes children just can get, you know, quite defensive if they feel their parent is pointing something out. Um, Just remind them, it's just coming from a place of concern. I'm just a little bit worried. I think, you know, maybe your mood's shifted a little bit. You seem a little bit more down or maybe not so motivated. Um, is there some support I can can get for you or would you like to talk it through, obviously, is, the, is probably the first part of that conversation. Um, you know, I think if, again, we start, you know, really early uh, in life creating a culture in the family where nothing, uh, nothing is off the table with yeah. respect to being able to be talked about. Feelings are completely acceptable. What experiences you've had uh, at school are completely acceptable to talk about. It's sort of nothing brings a sense of um, judgment or otherwise, or, or mm. things don't get dismissed. I mean, that's not to say that it has to be perfect, um, and you know that everything has to be addressed all the time. Uh, but it's to generally create a culture where you know most of the time, if you notice things or things need to be talked about, you know they can be, so that it just it's normal. Um, to talk about these sorts of things. I think as well, you know, for parents it's also about being conscious um, that you help young people and teenagers experience that they can solve their own problems Mm. as well with your support. Um, You know, there's the normal ebbs and, and flows and ups and downs in life and experiencing that you have the agency to solve those problems is a really important sort of developmental opportunity that carries forward into adult life having said that if you have mental health difficulties the normal Mm. ebbs and flows of life and the ups and downs uh they don't they don't feel like that um and they can genuinely be quite unmanageable so it's knowing you know where the balance is there and where to you know sort of lean in or pull back a little bit in a way that best supports um their independence Uh, i think You know, if we we talk about sort of adolescence, late adolescence and those who are going to to uni and thinking about the next sort of phases of life and moving away, as you said, Clara, there's so many firsts that come Mm -hmm. with that, potentially having to make a new group of friends and create a new network of support, uh, whether it's living out of of home for the first time and, and taking more care of yourself and having to be responsible for yourself and making lots more decisions. Um, I think, uh, you know, that creating an opportunity, if you can, to have family dinner, you know, every few weeks or more often, depending on, you know, your family's needs creates that opportunity to talk or maybe having, you know, a a FaceTime, you know, that's sort of booked in um, Mm. so that it's not when it's needed. It's just it's quite consistent so that you can notice any changes that might be happening or, um, you know, your young person feels comfortable to just sort of say what's on their mind Uh, But it is a, yeah, it's a really important time in life to have that kind of support because it's where things can be most challenging.
1: And I think you just touched on then the difference between, I guess, the normal ebbs and flows and checking in and making sure that it is quite stable and then into the mental health where, you know, I know... um, For example, a lot of um, bipolar, schizophrenia, some quite serious mental health issues can start to identify themselves around those ages as well. When that starts to happen, where do you go? You know, what is your first line of avenue? How do you start getting diagnosis between, as you said, what could just be supporting someone through or helping them support themselves through just life changes to when it's starting to tip into something that's probably beyond your control.
2: Yeah, look, I think um, Clara, the earlier the intervention, the mm. better the outcomes are likely to be for anybody who is experiencing a mental health challenge. So, you know, the majority of mental health presentations occur around the teenage years, um, mm. you know, up to sort of later adolescence, which coincides with, you know, the the largest part of brain development. So if you are noticing things that are of concern, there's no harm done in investigating and seeking to understand. You know whether it is a, a problem or just a normal part of development. I would go to your GP. I would have a conversation, um, and your GP can do an assessment and essentially triage to the most appropriate person thereafter. Whether it's a psychologist, if needed, a paediatrician, a psychiatrist. Uh, who can be helpful. I think if you're a a family member or, you know, a parent of a young person that you're trying to help, going into the GP with the sort of most information you possibly can have is really helpful. And what I mean by that is, you know, what are the, the, the difficulties your young person is going through? Um, can you can you give a bit of a history how long has it been happening for uh, what's happening at school at the moment are there friendship difficulties has there been bullying that they've been experiencing um, you know what is your family history perhaps of mental health concerns so that the doctor's in a good position to be able to sort of best understand what's happening and then determine what might be most helpful moving forward and I think from the position of the you know the parent or the young person, um, going in. If, if you are given a recommendation or, you know, you are um, provided with referrals or support and something doesn't sit quite right or you think that there, you know, that there isn't something that's quite been addressed enough, ask for clarity. Mm. You know, you're allowed to explain, mm, I'm not sure that's quite what the issue is or this doesn't quite sit comfortably with me. Can we talk through this a little bit more as well? Um, because all of that information just helps with establishing what will be most helpful um, moving forward and hopefully efficiently getting the help that might be needed.
0: Dr. Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the pod today. The work you do is truly incredible. We will put the links to everything we have discussed in today's episode in the show notes below. To this podcast,
1: please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit
2: from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.